the temple from there. <laughs> Leave him! <laughs> Father! Father! Forgive them. For they know not what they do. So what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <clears throat> that word forgive is a huge word. It is uh, one of the last seven words Jesus spoke on the cross. Uh, today is four weeks from today is Easter Sunday. How many of you knew that? May I see your hand? Four weeks from today. I encourage you, get busy. Uh, I know you have friends and family. It is a huge day. And we want to always keep it a huge day. We never want to let the culture in which we live minimize Easter Sunday. Amen? Amen. It's a big day. And we want everybody to know that. Believe God, it's one of the great days the church can shine because we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and start planning now and start encouraging and inviting family members to be here and let's be a part of something absolutely wonderful. Uh, you saw in your bulletin the newcomer event. It's uh, coming up. Take a look at that information in the bulletin. Pay attention to it. Always something happening here. Uh, how many have ever been on a guilt trip? Come on, get your hand up. You've been on a guilt trip. How many have been on a guilt trip more than once? How many thought it was a really unique experience? <laughs> well, you see, your body was not made for guilt. Your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit was not made for condemnation. Your body was not made to have to live with guilt. Because when you live with sin, you live with guilt, it just kind of throws your whole system off. God made your body, he made you, he made your heart, mind, soul, and spirit to be clean. He made it as a unique and perfect vessel so that you are one of a kind. And when the sin took place among Adam and Eve, of course, then the reality of the matter, the body began to have to bear the soul, the mind, the spirit of what it meant to feel guilty. Adam knew the very moment that he sinned, and I'll speak more about him in a moment, because it changed his world. You see, when you feel guilty or guilt is there, you wonder, well, I wonder if guilt, if I'll ever be found out. Well, here's a little article that I read to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was his name. He's the guy that wrote all of Sherlock Holmes' novels, and he was quite a prankster. This is what he said. One time he sent an anonymous note to 50 prominent Englishmen in Great Britain. Here was the note. All is found out flee at once. And within 48 hours, 25 of the 50 had left the country. That's guilt. That's guilt. The reality is a lot of people carry fear of that being found out, fear of retaliation, fear of judgment. The simple truth is God wants us to live guilt-free, and neither does the Lord want us to cast guilt and accusation upon others. We're to be forgiving. We're to be loving. We're not to remind people of their error or their sin. 
For in fact, Jesus Christ has forgiven us. I promise you, we are free as the Spirit has made us free indeed. Luke 23 tells the story of Jesus. Of course, he'd been up all night, and as a result of that, there were six trials that took place, three religious trials and three trials by the Roman government. All of them were illegal trials because you could not have a trial at night. Jesus, of course, was beaten and battered and scorned and spat on and judged, and he's carrying the cross up Golgotha's hill, Golgotha meaning the the, the face of the mountain where the cross was planted, the three, looked like a skull. And the Bible says in Luke 23, gives us an insight into that, starting in verse 27. It says, great crowds trailed along behind him, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Two others, both criminals, were led to be executed with him. Finally, they came to a place called what? the skull, where all three were crucified, and Jesus was on the center, the criminals were on either side of him. And then Jesus said, you heard it, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice as the crowd stood watching. The leaders laughed and scoffed at Jesus. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he's really God's chosen one, the Messiah, The soldiers mocked him and offered him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Here's the point. Jesus did not want to be saved. He did not come to come off the cross. He came to hang on the cross. It was his plan, God's plan from the beginning that someone should die. Jesus volunteered and said, nail me to the cross because I know that's the only way that men and women are going to be able to be ridded of sin and ridded of guilt. If you're the son of God, save yourself. Over and over and over again, he could have done things that could have caused him not to be hurt, not to be beaten, not to be scorned. He could have done it over and over again. His very first word on the seven words headed toward Easter is forgive. Forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The good news is for you and me, there are things that we look at that deal with guilt, and often we try to deal with guilt in a number of different ways. I'm talking about the culture in general. It can be self-destructive, self-defeating, and none of it works. Jesus says, I want you to be guilt-free. I want you to be sin-free because I created you not to have to bear the burden of sin. I created you not to have to wrestle with guilt. I created you so you would not have to wrestle with condemnation. And I know that sin and guilt does all that to you. But listen, I can tell you I have the ability to take your guilt and take your sin away and give you brand new life. If you're glad about it, say amen. Here's one of the things we try to do dealing with unforgiveness and sin is we try to bury it. We, we deal with our guilt by burying it. The problem is, have you noticed, it keeps resurrecting from time to time. You say, well, I've asked God forgiveness for that and that and that, but it, it keeps coming up. It just won't stay buried. David said in Psalms 32, verse 3, when I refuse to confess my sins, he said, I was weak and miserable and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. 
I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. God, I ask you to forgive me, and you forgave me. If you are glad, say amen. amen. Your mind and body cannot deal with it. Before you ask forgiveness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what we do. We minimize it. It's no big deal. Or we rationalize it. Everybody else is doing it. I understand. All the sins that people create in a coin, everybody else is doing it. Even some people in the church are doing it. So, so yeah, you know. Or we compromise. We, um, we minimize, rationalize, or we compromise. He said, I, I feel really bad about it, but it's not such a big sin or difficult. I mean, after all, you know. Uh, I read a fortune cookie, and here's what it said in my study. Commit a sin twice, and it won't seem like a sin to you anymore. So you have to do is commit a sin, same sin twice, and it won't seem like a sin anymore. So about the 30th time you murder somebody, it'll be a piece of cake. You know? It's like, hey, murder, I thought to begin was a really bad deal. You know? Then the second time, and then now you're number 30, that feels okay. I mean, I've got used to doing that. Unbelievable. It's wrong. Don't do it again. Here's what the damage of sin and guilt when not confessed in Proverbs 28, 13. You'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Let's read it together. It's up there already on three. One, two, three. You'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. The Bible says your sins will find you out because you reap what you sow. Oh, yeah. You reap what you sow. Some old holy people, yeah, you're going to reap what you sow. You better shut your mouth because we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen. How many are glad that some of the things you sowed, you didn't reap because it was covered under the blood of Jesus Christ? That's wonderful. Well, then how is it that a great majority of people in our country don't want to confess their sins and follow after Jesus Christ? It's called rationalizing, minimizing those things, compromising in their spirit. I mean, so what, you know? The big man upstairs, he doesn't really care. Here's the second thing that we do with our guilt, which doesn't work. We blame. You know anybody just likes to blame, 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 blankety blank, blame, blame, blame. Well, let me talk to you about that. When we blame others, that's what Adam did. He started that. Remember? Sin. He hid. Remember? Jesus come walking through, strolling through. Adam's over there. He's hid. And God said, Adam. Like a kid, they don't answer to begin with. Adam. How many of you men have ever heard your wife call for you and you chose not to answer? How many should have raised your hand and you didn't? (laughs) Yeah. I've never done that in my life once. I've never once done that in my life. How many of you men ever said, you're breaking up, you're breaking up, you're breaking up? Hello? One way or the other, I'm going to get you, boys. You might as well fess it on up, okay? I've never done that once in my life. Adam, uh, 
Yes. Yes. What's wrong with you, boy? Well, nothing. Why are you wearing that fig leaf? It's ugly. It's ugly. Well, I just thought, you know, well, you failed. Why did you do that, Adam? Well, I've been going to talk to you about this, God. Uh, But this thou woman that thou gavest to me caused me to eat the forbidden fruit. Now, who did he blame? He blamed the woman, but who did he really blame? He blamed God. He blamed God. And that's the blame game. The woman thou gavest to me. How many of you know, guys, you get redemption. How many of of you know that your wife has saved your patoot many, many times? May I see your hand? Oh, that's much better. Redemption is coming in the house. By the way, give our online visitors streaming around the world, give them a good welcome. Would you do that? They'll be glad that you appreciate them. Why do you blame your unhappiness and blame your problems on anyone else? And we know that that is not scriptural. Well, if I had different parents, if uh, I had a different DNA, if I had a different boss, had a different job, had a different community to live in, if I, I moved up to the mountains, I think I'd be better. And here's another one. And what do you know if I had a different church? Really? Always something different. I call that the accusing and excusing. You accuse something or someone else in order to make an excuse for yourself. And you know what the Word of God is going to say before it's over? Man up. For Father, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Y'all come on, help me now. That's right, me standing. Adam did it hiding and hurdling. Hid. America, that's the problem sometimes with American culture. We blame everything on everyone else. And the sooner that we as a nation can stand up and say, we have avoided God, we have mistaken God, we have taken God for granted, we took prayer out, we've done this, we've done this, and we need to get back to the altar, I promise you, revival would fall and the news media would never pick it up. Never. Just admit it. Blame is always an indication that you don't like you. You don't like you. Why? Because in the mind there's a scale between guilt and blame, and we can't sometimes handle guilt. So we turn to blaming all the time because our mind understands justifying ourselves. I was innocent. I didn't do anything. It was you. It's blame. The reality is we've all fell short of the glory of God. Proverbs 19.3 says, some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions and then blame the Lord. Why in the name of God did you let me go into bankrupt? Because you got every credit card you could get your hands on. God, why did you let me marry him? I had no idea. Here I am now five years later and I'm so alone. Why did you do that? Why in the world didn't you pay attention to your mom and your dad and your preacher and your best friends? Your problem was you were in lust and not in love.
That's sad. That's reality. Proverbs 19.3, their own stupid actions is what it says. How do we deal with that? The reality is we know that it is the truth. Here's the third thing. We, we try to deal with our guilt and our infection by beating ourselves up. Beat yourself up syndrome. There are those that try to bury it. Others try to blame it. But it feel, really feels good if you just beat yourself up. I know I did it. I'm so sorry and I'm so ashamed and I've, I've asked forgiveness, but I'm just never going to be any good anymore. I'm never going to be able to do anything. I'm never going to show my face. I'm never, and I'm just beat myself up. That doesn't work either. You're just going to be one more soul that God could use in a tremendous way, even in your era and in your sin, God can cleanse it and resurrect you to become someone with a testimony that will touch the lives of other people if you just pay attention. God can take your mistakes and turn it into miracles. Are you listening? He can do that. He can do that. Can guilt, sin cause illness? Absolutely. I read another report where one doctor said in their hospital, in their town, he said 50% of these patients could go home if they didn't carry sin and guilt in their life. It creates ulcers. It creates high blood pressure. It creates heart problems. It creates head problems. All of that, if they just get rid of sin, get rid of their guilt, they'd be more healthy than they could ever imagine. I don't know if I believe that, but he said it. I just thought, I'd, well, here it is. Here's the big problem. They're a pain in the neck. Some of you would say that differently. But when you say that about someone else, look in the mirror. Because the pain may not be them. It may be that your forgiveness and your compassion and your longevity and your patience is off kilter and it's become warped like a spine, a bone that's out of place. It doesn't work right. It's pain all the time until it gets locked back into place. Resentment. We have resentment. That's things that other people do to us. And we have guilt. Those are the things that we did to other people, and it causes depression and anxiety and all kind of problems. Psalms 38, verse 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me. Like a load, it weights me down because I was foolish. I am bent over and bowed down, and I am sad all day long. God created you to be happy, to enjoy life. Amen. Nothing that happened yesterday ought to adversely affect your today. There ought to be enough of God's grace in each of us to be able to forgive. God forgive. I know, but I, I know he's forgiven me, but I ain't going to forget. You're choosing not to forget. Give yourself permission to put it under the blood. Amen. Before you know it, you will begin to punish people around you with a blame game. And when you blame, you can run good people off who deeply love you family, friends, co-workers, etc. And you never, never win. You never win that way. Here's the one thing to deal with it. Admit it. Turn to your neighbor and say, just admit it. Admit it. Yeah, admit it. Now, if you have to say admit what, you're in trouble. <laughs> admit it. Admit what? 
That's a starting point. Bible's clear. God, I admit that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And listen, not cheap admit, not cheap grace, because when you say I admit it, God, I have confessed it. And when you confess it, it means that you begin to live and think and do differently. All right? I admit it. I'm not going to bury it, deny it, ignore it. I'm not going to carry this because that is not your will. And some people hide that because they're afraid to admit to God the sin and say, God, forgive me. Here's the whole plethora of things. So they become, what, overwhelmed with guilt by becoming a workaholic or deciding to travel, can never stay in the same place at the same time. If I go to the mountains, I'll get rid of it. If I go to Georgia, I'll get rid of it. If I take a cruise, I'll get it. If I go to, the, if I go to Italy, I'll take it. No, the problem between your ears, stress is going to be there. Proverbs 20, 27, here it is. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience, and we cannot hide from ourselves. You see, you may be able to hide from your guilt, your guilt from everyone else, but you can't hide it from you. And you know whether or not you have asked God to forgive you and say, God, every day, Every day I ask you for forgiveness. And that's the best way to be healthy. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're all sinners saved by grace. Say, I'm, I'm messed up. As human beings, we know that we live in a world that is not perfect. It is imperfect. And we lie to ourselves and we begin to believe our lies that you are perfect, that, oh God, I'll tell you, I'm lily white. Well, I can tell you that God says the heart is deceitful. You can be deceived by your own lies. You can be deceived by your own lack of consciousness. That deception creates worry and envy and bitterness and guilt and fear and anxiety. So how are you doing? You know, anxiety, why should you carry anxiety every day. Why should you live in fear? Why? You are not made for that. There's no problem that what God cannot fix. Here's number two, accept responsibility for the junk in your life. Just accept it. I admit it. My life, I, you know what? You, we can be self-centered. Anybody know somebody is self-centered? Sure is watching a Hallmark. Hallmark. Those are all the same. 15 minutes into the program, you know who's going to wind up with who? And they never give any real kisses on there. Have you noticed that? They kiss. So when he kisses, he kisses right under her nose, not on her lips, and she kisses down on his chin. What kind of kiss is that? Well, better than nothing, I guess. Well, go practice. Hallmark. So we were watching a Hallmark yesterday afternoon, sitting there with Sharon, and the jerk, who's the star, was as self-centered as any person you'll ever want to meet, made me mad. And what does she do? <laughs> she keeps putting up with him and putting up with him, putting up with him. Finally, I said, you need to, you need to chunk him. I'm talking to the television. You know you're in trouble when you're talking to your own television, friend. <laughs> Something wrong with that. 
Finally, I think she woke up. I mean, I left. <laughs> but self-centeredness, here it is. Be careful now. Other people will know that you are self-centered a whole lot quicker than you'll know that about yourself. If you feel led, turn to your neighbor and say, Amen. Amen. Self-centered. What is self-centeredness? Self-centeredness is fear and insecurity that's afraid to be real. So the only person you can know, love, and trust is you. Otherwise, you become vulnerable in your behavior. There are people who are broken and sinful and know it, and there are people who are broken and sinful that will admit it. We don't want to be self-centered. Here's the third thing. Ask for forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, we freely admit that we have sinned. God forgives us. He forgives our sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. He doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. He washes away our sin. How do you approach him? You don't beg, oh, God, 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 God. Beg, 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 beg. You don't have to do that. God loves you, and he died to forgive you. And then don't bargain. Hey, God, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Um, if you'll forgive me on this time, I won't ever do this again. Shoot. That's not true. Confession forgives the past, but confession doesn't say that you'll never do it again. And here's the third thing. Don't bribe God. Hey, if you'll, you'll get me through this and forgive me, I, I'll give you 30%. You know what he's going to say? You're not even giving 1% now. Don't try to bribe me. God, if you'll if you do this and you give me forgiveness on this deal, I want you to know I will never miss church. If that's you, come and tell me after church that's your pledge. And know this, the first time you violate that vow, Grady Judd will show up at your door. <laughs> He'll be glad I used his name. You see, if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you. Why? Because Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God declares you and me not guilty. Well, pastor, there's an incident in my life that I'm ashamed of. I've asked God over and over and over, and I still don't feel like I'm forgiven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It takes a God that is pure. It takes a God that's never made a mistake. It takes a God that's never sinned. It takes the creator of the universe, who is the individual who created salvation and redemption, and says, I cannot trust him to forgive me. And in my heart of hearts, I don't feel forgiven. See, that is a lie the enemy uses on us. I've asked God over and over again, ask him and believe that you are forgiven. And when the enemy brings it up, say, I'm forgiven. And he continually brings it up, I'm forgiven. Somebody else brings it up, say, I'm forgiven. I know that I am forgiven. 
I know that by the, every time you say I'm forgiven, you bring glory to God. And here's what he does. He forgives instantly. He doesn't believe in purgatory. Are you listening? He's not going to hang you out to dry and say, if you give me 20 push-ups, then I'll think about forgiving me. If you'll invite me, uh-uh. He forgives you instantaneously. Because why? Isaiah 55, 7, God is merciful and quick to forgive, and he forgives completely. So how are you doing with forgiveness? How easy is it for you to forgive? How easy is it for you to put it in the blood? You see, it always starts with a decision. I choose to forgive. And Jesus said, there's nothing in this world that you're ever going to do that will cause me not to forgive you. Paul writes in Colossians 2.13, he has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. In other words, he says you won't find anything because the evidence has evaporated. You can't see it, can't find it because it does not exist and exist and it has been annulled. What that means, it's as if it never happened. No evidence and there's nothing there that says it ever happened. That's God. That's the power of forgiveness. Now, what's our goal? Do the same as Jesus did. Have that kind of forgiveness. Get rid of condemnation and create the power of compassion in all of our lives. And God gives us repeatedly. So let me encourage you in two ways in which you know that you talk about the forgiveness of the Lord. One is water baptism. Water baptism is probably going to happen in the next week or so. And water baptism, I, I heard a man testify the other night, and, and he was in the first service. and he, uh, he said, I've only been baptized in water two years, and he's over 70 years of age. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But when I did it, it gave me a confidence and a security that's changed my life like never before. You see, there's a reason for water baptism. Water baptism brings you out of a confined area. It brings you into the public arena that makes a declaration of your faith. Water baptism says, I'm not ashamed. Now, do you have to be water baptized to go to heaven? No. You confess your sins. And that's the excuse that some people have. But why would you want to make an excuse for going into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Why? Water baptism brings you into the public arena that causes now not just you fighting the enemy with God, but water baptism links every believer with you in the public arena to declare war on the devil, water baptized. Symbolically, you go under, the old has come up, the new death took place, and I am not ashamed. That's water baptism. And it was so important that Jesus allowed John to baptize him. Why did he do that? And then record it because it must be of value. The second thing is the Lord's Supper. 
It's the words of Jesus who said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He said, if I've forgiven you, if I've given you grace and I've given you the evidence of that grace, he said, take the Lord's Supper. Take that cup and remember that blood represents something. Take that bread and remember that bread represents my body that was crucified. Remember that. All of that together brings us to a full expression of spiritual confidence and security. It says, hey, I've acknowledged to God, Lord's Supper, I've acknowledged to the world. Hey, and may I suggest to you this, that when a Jew was baptized in water, in Jesus' day, it potentially meant their death. Why? Because that is a public declaration. Why? Because God, through Jesus, Hebrews 7.25, knowing that right now Christ is always interceding on our behalf, he freely, freely forgives. So you know what that means? Whatever sin is in your life, whatever challenges that you've had, whatever it is that you can't get over, whether it's pain that was done to you, or whether or not it was pain that you did to someone else. Understand, only an enemy of the cross wants to continue to hang that over your head. Only an enemy of the saving grace of Jesus Christ wants to continue to shoot you. For if God has forgiven us, we ought to be forgiven. Amen. Don't you think? Ephesians 1, for by the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, we are what? Set what? Set free. Then what happened? Our sins are forgiven. I am free from all condemnation through Jesus Christ. Would you put your hands together and let's thank God for his blessing. Would you stand? Stand on your feet, and let's bow our heads together. Some of you have been carrying a whole lot of guilt you shouldn't carry. A whole lot of guilt. Stay with me now, please. This is the most crucial time. The heart, if you were in heart surgery, this would be the time your heart is open, the chest cavity is open, and they have stopped your heart in order to do the surgery that needs to be done. The oxygen level has to be right. Blood level has to be right, and the surgeon's hand has to be steady. That's every altar call. Because the battle takes place. Because the Holy Spirit begins to speak to the heart that God created. And the enemy begins to speak into the intellect and intelligence to cause an individual to make a decision that violates a supernatural encouragement. You may have carried guilt and say, I've been a believer and follower, but boy, I still carry, I carry that. You can be liberated in Jesus' name. You just have to believe it. Some of you may say, I, I've asked God, and I've asked God, and I've asked God. Maybe you need to get with someone, a friend who is a counselor or pastor, and say, can I talk to you about this? And let God liberate you. 
You may be in this room and you might say, boy, it's just so hard. I can't do it. Can is not a word that is relation to faith because all things are possible to them that believe. Don't make any more excuses. Put it in the hands of God. Lay it in his lap and know that he cares for you and know that he can heal you and know that he can deliver you and liberate you. And that's his desire. Why? You are not made to carry what you've been carrying. You don't have to have any more restless, sleepless nights. You can have that liberty that comes in Jesus. So I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer right now. Would you do it? Everybody together. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, ask I ask you for forgiveness. For forgiveness. I have sinned against you, sinned against you, and I need your forgiveness. I, forgiveness. I confess with my mouth. God, I am sorry. For all that I've done, I desire to be free. I desire to be liberated. I desire to have a clear conscience. And I believe by faith you have forgiven me. I ask you now, let me forgive myself. Let me forgive others. Let me enjoy my life. I desire to be happy in the love you have given me. So today, no longer will I live under the shadow of the power of darkness. I declare my victory, which comes in Jesus' name, and by the authority of his word, I am victorious in Jesus' name. I believe it. Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together, and let's thank God for that. Our altars are going to be open because some of you, you certainly need to be obedient. Let me encourage you, think carefully for some of you about the water baptism issue. I drilled down a little more than what my notes were because the Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke to my heart. I want to encourage you that God and you are in control. Don't let the enemy be in control anymore. If you need healing in your body, here's what the Bible says. Do it God's way. Come, let them anoint you with oil. Well, I know some churches, Pastor, they don't do it anymore. Who cares? You know what? It's right here. Who cares? I don't care what they do. Do you know why? I'm going to stand before God as an individual, and I'm going to stand before God as a pastor. And I want to be able to say to him, I read it in a book, but culture said I ought to do other. I read it in a book, God, and that's what I did. Amen? Amen? That's what I did. So I'm going to encourage you. If you need to get in the altar, maybe it's somebody that you really have a burden for. And I hope you have a lot of people you're burdened for, but someone really special in your heart, you come. We're going to sing this song once, and then I'm going to give the benediction. Stay with us, okay? Thank you.